In 2015, discussions began among key researchers in the field of stroke rehabilitation and recovery. This resulted in the Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation Roundtable, who met in Philadelphia in the USA and resulted in the publication of six papers in the International Journal of Stroke and Neurorehabilitation and Neural Repair Journals. We are now on the second roundtable and things are heating up significantly in the rehabilitation and recovery space. The second published SRRR series incorporates themes of cognitive impairment, knowledge translation, an exemplar of a next generation of stroke recovery treatment trials, kinematic and kinetic movement quantification. A major goal of the Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation Roundtable SRRR is to accelerate development of effective treatments to enhance stroke recovery beyond that expected to occur spontaneously or with current approaches. In the paper, a stroke recovery trial development framework, which was one of the consensus-based core recommendations for the second Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation Roundtable, it describes key issues for the next generation of stroke recovery treatment trials and presents the Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation Roundtable Trials Development Framework. An exemplar is presented to demonstrate the utility of this framework to guide the go-no-go decision-making process in trial development. I'm Carmen Lave Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke, and I spoke to Professor Julie Bernhardt, Co-Director for the Stroke Theme and NHMRC CRE in Stroke Rehabilitation and Brain Recovery, based at the Florey Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health in Melbourne, Australia. I'm Julie Bernhardt from the Florey Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health in Melbourne. Thanks so much for talking to us, Julie. So through the paper at the moment, the Stroke Recovery Trial Development Framework, um, which is the consensus base, the core recommendations of the second Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation, SRRR, group that you've organised um, now twice. So this is the second one. Could you give us a little bit of a background on this paper, its purpose, why you were looking specifically at this, and then we'll have a talk about some of the consensus that you guys came up with. Sure. In the last... Uh SRRR, we tackled, my group tackled core outcome measures for clinical trials because that was a really obvious early gap that we needed to address. If we don't have consistent outcomes, uh, then we're not able to talk to each other and we can't, certainly can't aggregate any information. We knew we had further work to do after that uh, round table. And so for the second round table, we definitely wanted another trials conversation and we started with the intent of perhaps um, selecting some really key areas uh, that needed research to be conducted to help fill important gaps. And as we delved as a group uh, into this area, we really identified that there were earlier things that we had to tackle. We had to agree on what are the important criteria that uh, we need to use to decide whether or not something, an intervention, is ready to move forward into trial. And in response to the disappointing trials outcomes that we're seeing from large pragmatic trials where we're getting neutral results, we felt that it was time for us to think about 
How can we make our research questions clearer? How can we make our decisions about the development of elements of the trial much more evidence informed so that we move the most effective things forward? So really the start of this conversation was, let's think about a go, no go idea. Should we go forward into a larger trial or should we not? And on the back of that conversation, we decided to develop uh, a trial development framework. And that's what we're reporting today. And so we'll go through the recommendations in a mm -hmm. moment, but if we think about the way that we apply that framework, would you do, say, an avert trial again in a very different way because of this framework? Or is it that giving you some of the launching spaces for this framework? I think that's a fantastic question and it's something that has been going around in my mind. When I was developing the AVERT trial, uh, I felt like I'd spent considerable time trying to identify the right intervention that should be taken forward. And we'd obviously done a, a pilot study that was a safety and feasibility trial, a phase two. And it looked promising and therefore that was a good enough reason at the time to move it forward. And as you know, uh, our results in the large robust trial were different, very different to what we saw in the pilot trial. Um, and the intervention that we had developed was a package and it was a very pragmatic study. I think uh, this, the answer is still yes, I would change it. And that's why I felt confident with our group in um, having this conversation and thinking about how we might change uh, how we design our trials. So then let's go through some of the recommendations. I noticed the way that you framed the paper, you've used how, much, what, who, when. What was the purpose of framing it like that? One of the things that we really need to tackle, and I'm just gonna stop briefly and reflect back on what's been successful in the acute stroke domain as well. When I look at their research, uh, and the fact that they started with a big target. Um, they didn't know when they should apply TPA, for example, and they were starting with a wide window. Then they didn't know exactly who they should be applying it for. And really the successes came as they narrowed down into much clearer uh, knowledge about when and who. And that's really led to great success in the acute space. I think that's exactly what we need to do in rehab and recovery. So what we've seen in our trials is that we include everybody or a pretty broad inclusion. And while that is uh, considered to be great for generalizability, if we're finding neutral trials, if we can't distinguish um, an intervention from usual care, then we have to start saying, who are we applying this to? When are we applying it? How much are we applying? What exactly are the active ingredients in the intervention? And should we be applying adjuvant treatments as well, which uh, we've briefly mentioned? I think uh, what we're hoping is that people think about these issues carefully, think about the best evidence that we have at our fingertips for uh, adding that information into the development of a protocol. And if we don't know the answer, we've made suggestions about other 
designs instead of small pilots with broad groups of people we're really making suggestions about looking at dose finding or dose ranging studies if we don't know about dose thinking about targeting specific people um, into the trials our biomarkers which again is a carryover from the round the first round table what biomarkers can we use and if we don't have good enough ones we've got to find ones that work to help us stratify our patients in in trials so i think um, really what we're hoping is that people can use this and just get a very clear sense of what evidence is sitting behind the development of their protocol instead of just going well let's just double the dose and see if that works because that's what we've been doing let's make it twice as much because surely twice as much will be better than what we're doing now. And I think what we're showing in the trials uh, that are coming out is that that doesn't work. It, it's not working. So uh, we want people to use the, the framework to work through these decisions and make, it, and make a choice. Should we go ahead into a bigger trial or not? So we don't just have clinicians that listen to our podcast. We also have patients and stroke survivors and their families. And I can see what we're all the framework that you're building, but how does that include patient collaboration, if you don't mind me asking? Does that fit into the framework? We involve um, patients in the roundtable, I think, and we need to involve patients much more in our research uh, design. We've certainly already always done that in my uh, group, and it's becoming much more common. What does this mean for patients themselves? I think it means that um, patients may expect to uh, see that a, a study might have a much more selected criteria for entry. Now that might actually be frustrating for, for, for patients and stroke survivors. They might say, I want to be in that study because I want to try this intervention. And we might be saying in future, look, we're actually going to target this group because we think these are the, the group of people that we need to test. Uh, so that is something that researchers are going to need to be sensitive to uh, because it, it won't necessarily be that we can include everybody in our clinical trials. Uh, and look, the reality is for us to be able to include everybody in trials, the intervention is going to be have going to have to be so incredibly powerful uh, that that variability that we see in including all stroke survivors uh, is able to be overcome with this one intervention. It's really not very likely until we find something that's much more powerful um, at our fingertips to help people recover. And that's the goal. The goal is um, to really move the most carefully targeted effective interventions forward into trials and then we'll have some success I think. And so let's move on to some of the consensus recommendations. Obviously there's too many to go through but I was wondering from your position of expertise and I know you're just one voice in a, in a large group, yes. what are your favourite consensus? What are the ones that you think are most profoundly impactful? So our recommendations are that people actually take this framework and apply it in their domain. And we think it can apply across basic science as well as clinical science. And we think it can apply, even though we've provided an example that's for a behavioral intervention for arm recovery, we think it can be applied for speech and cognition as well. So use the framework, 
see if it works for you in helping to accumulate what you know and give you some um, information and guidance about whether you should go ahead with a trial or not. The second uh, thing is that when there isn't enough information, enough evidence to support a decision, instead of launching into a big pragmatic trial, which also costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time, think about educating yourself and working in teams where you can apply these new models of uh, trial um, development. So dosing, adaptive clinical trials, they're emerging, but they're exciting, I think, uh, and certainly something that we need to pursue. The third thing is we need our funders to support these earlier phase trials. Unfortunately, right now, there is a bias in a number of uh, systems across the world to fund large clinical trials and even large pragmatic clinical trials. And I would have to say that we really want funders to start saying, is it worth us doing this? That's a lot of money and time. And maybe uh, it would be better if we could fund these carefully targeted questions in these different uh, trial designs. They're hard to get funded. And so we really need the, the funders to, to back us and we need them to support these studies that need to get done to fill our important knowledge gaps. In our supplement of the paper, we provide suggestions about the kinds of research that needs to be done to fill some of those gaps. And we hope that funders look at those. We've made other recommendations for each of the how, what, who, um, and people uh, would be welcome and advised to have a look at those. We're encouraged by the recent Canadian Partnership for Stroke Recovery grant round where they have targeted specific questions around dose and amount of uh, training in recovery. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we need to see. Can you give us a bit of a background on ISRA and tell us what that is for and how that you plan to apply that within the context of the SRR? Having finished two uh, stroke recovery and rehab roundtables, it became clear that we had started to be seen as legit, a legitimate convening body around this area. And people have been approaching me asking for new topic areas, for next roundtables. And uh, the intent with this group has always been to really drive international collaboration uh, for not just recommendations, but action. So the next obvious step, I think, became the idea of uh, developing an international stroke recovery and rehab alliance, uh, ISRA, for short or with its acronym and we're convening that meeting um, early next week to uh, look at the world view of what an alliance could could offer because we don't want to reinvent the wheel that's always been my mantra with um, this work and everybody else's who's been involved let's don't reinvent the wheel work cooperatively and collaboratively with other people. So the Alliance uh, will be forming, we're officially forming early next week, uh, and we'll be talking about how we will liaise and link with other groups around the world. And the intent though, is that 
instead of just making recommendations, we'll form active working groups who will start to try and drive projects collectively so that we're not just recommending, we're actually doing. So it's the, hopefully ISRA will become the doing arm of the roundtables. You've been listening to a podcast interview with Carmen Leif Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke and Professor Julie Bernhardt, Co-Director for the Stroke Theme and NHMRC CRE in Stroke Rehabilitation and Recovery at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health in Melbourne, Australia, speaking about the article A Stroke Recovery Trial Development Framework, which is one of the consensus-based core recommendations from the second Stroke Recovery and Rehabilitation Roundtable which is part of a series of five papers published in the International Journal of Stroke and Neurorehabilitation and Neural Repair on the SRRR2 series, each with an accompanying podcast. The International Journal of Stroke is the flagship publication of the World Stroke Organization. Please do consider becoming a member and help us to fight the global burden of stroke.